Here is the latest Higher Summits forecast brought to you by our friends at the Mount Washington Observatory. Weather above treeline in the White Mountains is often wildly different than at our trailheads. Before you hike, check the Higher Summits forecast at mountwashington.org. Weather observers working at the nonprofit Mount Washington Observatory write this elevation-based forecast every morning and afternoon. Search and rescue teams, avalanche experts, and backcountry guides all rely on the Higher Summits forecast to anticipate weather conditions above treeline. You should too. Go to mountwashington.org or text FORECAST to 603 356 And here is your forecast for Friday, December 15th and Saturday, December 16th. Friday, mostly in the clear under partly sunny skies with a high in the mid-30s. Winds northwest at 60 to 80 miles per hour, increasing to 75 to 95 miles per hour with gusts up to 110 miles per hour. Windchill will be rising to 10 to 20 above. Friday night is mostly in the clear under increasingly cloudy skies. Slight chance of snow showers possible up to about uh, one inch, trace to one inch. Low will be around 20 degrees. Winds again will be pretty elevated. Northwest at 70 to 90 miles per hour with gusts up to 100 miles per hour, decreasing to 50 to 70 miles per hour. And the wind chill will be falling to zero to 10 below zero. Saturday, mostly in the clear under partly sunny skies with a slight chance of snow showers in the morning, possible snow accumulations of a trace to less than one inch. And the high will be in the lower 20s with winds northwest shifting north at 50 to 70 miles per hour with gusts up to 80 miles per hour early. 25 to 40 miles per hour midday and then 10 to 25 miles per hour later. Windchill is rising to 0 to 10 above so it looks like winds are the big uh, the big issue from Friday into Saturday uh, morning and then getting better as the day progresses on Saturday. Alrighty, enjoy! from the Woodpecker Studio in the great state of New Hampshire. Welcome to the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast, where we discuss all things related to hiking and search and rescue in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. Here are your hosts, Mike and Stump. All right, Stomp, uh, episode 133, welcome, welcome. 
Welcome. Good to see you again. Hey, Mike. Hey, Mike. Uh, so, Mike, is this your first time on a podcast? Uh, no. All right. So, we uh, we expect big things of you then. You're an experienced podcaster. Oh, no. <laughs> Pressure's on. <laughs> nice. Right, right. Yeah. All right, Stomp. So, first thing we have here before we get into the intro is winter is coming up. Are you ready for it? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Based upon my performance on Mount Clem, I... I Maybe I need a little work, but I'm ready for the 21st. So that is the solstice, right? Solstice, right? 21st? I don't know. I think so. I think it's coming up. I think so. Yeah. Do you know the yeah. exact time? That I don't know, because it does vary year to year, so I'm not exactly sure. Mike, do you know that? Mike C? I'm going to say Mike C uh, for this. No, but I would Google it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a safe bet. Well, I'm not going to be able to get out on my winter hiking until after I get back from from holiday. So it doesn't matter, but I'm excited for everybody else that's going to be doing their winter lists. Yeah, it should be good. It's tough to do the winter 48. It takes some gumption. It is. We're gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna talk yeah. to you about that later on for sure. So I'm. I'm. I'm gonna finish this winter in mind, but it's been. T- it's. It's taken like six years. So it is. It is hard. Yeah, and I'm like halfway through, just from my first uh, 48 finish, but uh, hoping to get the rest of them done. Maybe. Maybe this year. We'll see. All right, Stomp. Nice. Well, you'll help me out, but uh, but welcome to episode 133 of the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast. I'm cracking my beer, and uh, this nice. week we are joined by Mike Cherum of Redline Guiding. So welcome, Mike. Um, Mike has been a fixture within the White Mountains hiking community for many years. We're honored to have him join us to share stories of hiking in the whites, talk about his guide service, and we're going to get into his perspective on safety and preparedness on the on the trail Mike's world centers around adventures, education, and he can even hook you up with a cool wedding if you're interested. So get ready for some good stories and some helpful information with Mike. All this, plus we cover some recent a recent hike in the Belknaps and finally get to um, some recent search and rescue news. So I'm Mike. And I'm Stomp. Let's get started. This is Ben Pease from Hiking Buddies. We are a 501c3 nonprofit committed to reducing avoidable tragedies through education, impactful projects, and fostering a community of support. You can find out more at hikingbuddies.org. We wanted to say thank you to those who have supported our mission, and most importantly, say thanks to those who speak up, who ask questions, and who are willing to provide guidance and assistance on the trails when needed. You embody what it means to be a hiking buddy. And now, for all my newer hikers out there, here's this episode's Hiking Buddies Quick Tip. Every time you go hiking, you'll always carry your 10 essentials, right? Here's one way to make one of those essentials easier. Take a cotton ball and soak it in some Vaseline to create your own fire starters at camp. Fire starting is an important tool to have in every pack.
Hey, Mike, I actually had a question for you. We're going to interview you later, but like for uh, for the wedding stuff that you do, do you ever do wedding vow renewals? Yes. All right. So I have a theory about that. Like if you do your wedding vow renewals, that means your marriage is in trouble. So I feel like you should be doing the <laughs> wedding vow renewals and then giving them marriage counseling secondarily. So. Wow. Yeah. You I, will not, I will not share that with you. Yeah, don't tell anybody that's a secret, but I wonder, like, if you look back at all the vow renewals, you should check to see if the couples are still together, because I have a theory that a lot of them aren't. So, yeah, I try not to look back. Yeah, true, true. Look forward only. So, but anyway, Stomp, that's, that's my great. advice, is if you have to do a wedding vow renewal, usually that means something's going on. Yeah, unless it's associated with, say, like a 10-year or 25-year or something of that nature. I wouldn't worry about it. Stomp. There's an issue. Yeah. I'm telling you. <laughs> I'm telling you. Don't ever do a wedding vow renewal. Now all the, all the listeners that have done wedding vow renewals are going to come at us, but I'm just saying. Hey, you're in trouble, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're smart, Mike, because you just totally played Switzerland on that question. <laughs> so yeah, I'm anyway. falling for that trap exactly alright Stomp so uh, just some housekeeping here so last week we had said that this was going to be our last show but we had gotten our dates mixed up, mixed up so we'll have a show out on the 22nd and then we're going to take the 29th and January 5th off and then we'll be back on January 12th right correct yes a little mess up on the dates but we will be back next week all right we and we have a guest for it'll just be me and you next week and then we'll have a guest for the 12th right right correct right. yeah right yeah we have a, a nice surprise for the 12th actually yeah we do nice we guess do. we'll keep it secret all right um all right Stomp. so you wanted to just put together a list of uh presents for avid hikers for uh christmas gifts yeah what uh maybe we can sort of work on this together i have five so what would you get your avid hiker in your life? Top five. I would say, um, trying to think what I got my, so I always, I go with the basics. So I would say um, I'm in winter hiking mode at this point. So I would, I always feel like you can never have like enough nice like liner gloves for winter hiking. So yeah, I feel like a lot one. of times like the, um, the, the fingertip things for the phones, like those wear out. So I'm always like, I'm always down for a new pair of those uh, for sure. Yeah. And then nice. I would say um, I'm nice. always looking for a new um, like head gaiter and neck gaiter. So I like that. Hmm. I don't like to spend okay. a lot of money on people. So I'm thinking like the accessories is where I would go. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. I have a couple ideas. Okay. Um I would uh, definitely get somebody, say, the U.S. Forest Service parking pass for a season. That might be nice. Yeah, I agree with the liners. Uh, Maybe wool socks. That was uh, number two on my list. Mm -hmm. Number three, uh, batteries. You can't have enough of those double A's, triple A's for the winter especially. Um, This is a classic stocking stuffer. Toe warmers, hand warmers. And then one occurred to me um, for number five, I would definitely uh, price it out and see if I could afford a... uh, uh, to give somebody a season pass to Eric Todd Sweet's cabin. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> how about you, Mike's, Mike C? How about you? <laughs> a redline guiding gift certificate. I'm sorry, I had to do it. Hey, there you yes. go. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, Absolutely. Yeah, and I would say like Valclus, I've been telling people to get the Valclus um, ba- uh, backpack frame 
Because that's like, I feel like a lot ah. of hikers, like, like if people say, oh, what do you want for hiking? Like people get me like gift, gift certificates to like EMS and REI and it's great. You use them. But like, I feel like yeah. I have everything. So I, I feel like that's the Valcluse or like the gift certificate to Redline. Those are things that um, people don't think of all the time. So those are good ideas. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Uh- Mike uh, Cherum, are you familiar with the Valkluse frame? I am not. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's really interesting. It's just this uh, spacer between your body and an older school backpack, so it creates ventilation. Um, okay. They're one of the sponsors, but um, they're flying off the shelves. It's a super cool product. Is it like an external frame backpack? It's it's a detachment. <laughs> Pretty to much. The, yeah. It's it's basically like an attachment that goes on on between your back and the backpack and it just gives like a you know, maybe like a three eighths of an inch spacing separation and allows for the wind yeah. to flow between your backpack. It's really good in that like twenty five to thirty five liter backpack um yeah. world where right, it's just, right. yeah, it, it allows for uh the the airflow pretty good and it doesn't really let you swim. No, let's just check it out. Yeah. It sounds interesting. Yeah, it's not too bad. It is. Yeah. So what else, Stomp? Anything, any other good ideas? That's all I got. Those are my five. Yeah. I don't know. If you guys have any other ideas, let me know, but tis the season. Yeah, those are all good ideas. So we'll put those in the show notes and and people can uh, give those to you, Stomp, if they wanna wanna send you gifts. <laughs> Right. Yeah, I put a. You can always reach out to the Forest Service search and rescue organizations too. Buy some of their swag. Yes, help support them. Mm. It's a nice gift. Yep. Yeah, that's a good absolutely. Idea yeah, I just saw some nice ones actually. Some sweatshirts for the Mount Washington Observatory that looked really sweet. So that's a great idea, Mike. That is They're not cotton. I hope. <laughs> <laughs> And then stop oh, you. You've got your first snowmobiling uh, shift coming up. Yeah, yeah, we're good to go. I think um, their first bookings are for the twentieth, but uh, my first Saturday will be the twenty third. So we're just hoping for snow. Um, it's you know, as you can tell, the, the forecast has been a little wild and woolly lately. So a lot of rain up here. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah, it looks like I want to hear more about this, but I guess after the podcast. <laughs> oh, it's, uh, guiding for snowmo. What, yeah, what you do. Oh, well, I'm a PT full-time, but um, uh, on the weekends I guide s- snowmobiles. So anybody that wants to go venture through the, the forest on a sled for a day or a couple hours can uh, sign up and you know purchase different packages. And who do you do that for? Northern Extremes. They're out okay, of uh, cool. I Bartlett. Like I like them. Yeah. Yeah, you're familiar yeah. with those, those guys? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, okay. Bear up over in uh, oh, I love Bartlett. Bear. He... He hired me actually for the gig. Oh, did he? Okay. Yeah. Have you have you talked to him lately? Uh, no, it's been a while. But we've uh, we've done a trip before where we've taken somebody up to Caps Ridge Trailhead on Snowmobile. Okay. Excellent. Attempted the mountain. It's like I was you know multi multi faceted adventure. Oh yeah. I, it's funny you mentioned that. I wanted to do that on a sled one time, but uh, it just never worked out last year. You know, but funny thing great. else is the trail was broken out by. Oh, by Caps Ridge, Caps Ridge itself. Yeah, Caps Ridge Trail was broken. Out. Somebody had gone up there and broke it up. Maybe, maybe we hiked up uh, the road. <laughs> no, no kidding. Yeah, that's a jaunt to get up to that one in the winter. Yeah, so maybe somebody did what we did and uh, took a snow machine up there. Mm. Yeah, it's probably a good plenty of parking. 
Plenty of parking in the winter. That's right. <laughs> do you guys ever get asked to do that stomp, a stomp to uh, like just snowmobile off, like uh, drop somebody off on a hike? No, that's never happened. Never happened. Uh, yeah, generally they're renting them or we have a, a due date to get back. Uh, in theory, somebody could rent a sled for eight hours and do it, do that and pull it off. But uh, I've not heard of it. Yeah, we had a, actually a special arrangement um, with uh, Northern Extremes to do this trip. Mm. Sure. Yeah. It's cool. I'd love to do it again. It's just, oh, you know, it's we great. If we don't put it out there, people have to kind of come up with it or tell us they want something different. We'll, we'll get creative. <laughs> oh, sure. But anyway, yeah, Beer's a sweetheart. What a great guy. Uh, and Peter and the whole crew. But. All right. Well, winter's officially here. You're out on the sleds. And, um, you know, if you want to want Stomp to guide you, then uh, we'll we'll put the info in the show notes, too. Mm. Thanks. Thanks, Mike. <laughs> Hey, what's that sound? It must be time for the pop culture segment with Mike and Stomp. All right, Stomp. So a couple of uh, pop culture bullets here, and then uh, we'll get into some beer talk. So what do you want to talk about? Well, let's see. We uh, apparently there's uh, a lawsuit that's being threatened by the Squid Games challengers. Apparently, while they were filming in England, um, some of them were injured, some of them were cl- complaining of hypothermia. So there is a potential for a big lawsuit that's going on. And I just checked to see if there's an update on this, but I did not see an update. So at the moment, I don't know. Maybe they're angling for some settlement or something like that. But uh, that is in the news. Had you heard of that? I didn't hear of that, but I did hear that in the, so what we're talking about is Squid Games, which is a, um, it's based a on a fictitious TV series out of, out of South Korea, but they actually created, like it's based on, a, like, it's a game show, but they've created, like, a real game show, and the first season blew up on Netflix, it's very popular, so my understanding is, is the first game, what they did, Red Light, Green Light, they kept the contestants standing up in this very cold environment for about eight or nine hours, and that, like, some of them, the whole idea is you move when it's green light, and then you freeze when it's red light, and if you move at all, you get, like, eliminated from the game. And they make it seem like it's a five-minute thing, but it really was oh, like exactly. an eight-hour thing that they made them stand there for. And a lot of people got cold. They 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 didn't handle it very well. So now I guess they're just suing for being tortured. The elimination yeah. was by machine gun, wasn't it? The, <laughs> the TV show, yeah, exactly. The TV show was like machine gun, <laughs> right. but then they did the ta- the uh, the game show, which is just essentially they have like these little exploding pellets on your chest. That um, that you get eliminated for, but like they <laughs> apparently the room they were in or wherever they were was like ridiculously cold, so they were all freezing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, they're signed on for uh, season two already, so that's pretty cool. Yes, but uh, yeah, so that's it. Then I saw some clickbait thing about the winner actually not getting paid her money, uh, but then it ended up being just clickbait. And the, the real story was that there's a payment plan, and now that the season's over, she'll get her money, but. It's funny some of these stories out there. Um, yeah, yeah, they probably wanted to make sure that um, 
she didn't like disclose anything across her NDA, yeah. and then also that she did the the um you know the the promotions for the show afterwards, so they probably didn't pay her until that was all done. <clears throat> yeah, makes sense. And uh, hey, I stumbled upon uh, Cher's first ever Christmas album at the age at the the young age of seventy seven. Have you guys heard this? No. It's absolutely amazing. It blew me away. I'm not the hugest Cher fan, but um, this album is really, really good. It's up on Spotify. Check it out because the the production sounds like it was recorded in the 50s or the 60s. Um, however, they did that with the you know digital plugins and whatnot. So, and it's all the classic songs too. It's not modern stuff. Maybe one or two songs, but uh, very, very good. Well done. She doesn't have any originals. Yeah. Is it? Just, it's just. Um, no, like I said, I think there are the, the newer ones are um, by her, and there's only like one or two. I forget the name of them, but she does a ton of covers that you'll recognize right off the bat, and uh, they're phenomenal. All right. Yeah, all the standard Christmas Christmas tunes. Yeah, I'll check that out. Sometimes we'll we'll put on the Christmas music on a Saturday, so I'll check it out. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's the thing to do. It's great. And then finally, pop culture. We have I, I stumbled on this. It's called the Cameo app. Anybody familiar with this one? I am. Oh, really? Mike, no? This doesn't ring a bell? The name is familiar, but I don't know what it is. Well, it's actually really interesting. So it's not so much um, uh, for larger celebrities. It's more for like second tier celebrities, less famous people, comics, actors, things like that. But what you can do is you can purchase um, a plug by them. You give them what you want to say to somebody and they'll provide a video recording of them saying those blurbs or whatever you want said to your friend or, or gift receiver. And uh, the prices range from whatever, $15 to $100. I saw one for like $400. Uh, it's a very cool idea. I had no idea what was out there. Very cool. Yeah, and I'm familiar with this. Matter of fact, this is blowing up on some social media because there's a, a congressman by the name of George Santos that got like kicked out of Congress, and he's absolutely yeah. killing it on this Cameo app. And there's like these different social media channels where he'll like. I think he's like a. I don't know. I think he's a Republican, so I think that like people are sending like their like yeah, liberal yeah, yeah. uncle like cameos from this guy. So it's pretty funny. So I'll ch- I'll uh, I, include the link in the show notes. Matter of fact. I it's hilarious. I was going to do this for my daughter, send her something. So I may, I may okay. use it. Anyway, uh, that's funny. Okay. All right. So moving on to uh, stickers, you can get your stickers at Ski Fanatics in Campton, New Hampshire, right off of Exit Twenty Eight, or Spinners down off of Dascom Road Ninety Three in Andover, Massachusetts. Say hi to Dolls and Pops. Um, if anybody's interested in advertising with the podcast, just reach out. Um, direct message us on the socials or email us at slasherpodcast at gmail. And um, we have some donations this week. Uh, we have two coffees from Edith Sandoval, and it's uh, a listener from New Mexico. So that's very cool. We got a couple long distance listeners this week. Uh, and then another one, Edith and Mateo, I believe this is the same pair, uh, donated a single coffee. They're enjoying the podcast. So thank you guys for listening. Solo Hikes donated four coffees. George and Christine donated 10 coffees. And then just today we got Steve from Cape Cod donating 10 coffees. So that's super generous donations lately, and we really appreciate it very much. Thank you, donations. Fieldstone. <laughs> yes, thank you very much. And we have our first sponsor, Fieldstone Kombucha. 
Fieldstone Kombucha, New England's premium craft kombucha company. If you're in the heart of New England, you need to drink a New England-style kombucha. Softer, less acidic, and truly enjoyable. Our kombucha is naturally effervescent and boasts full-bodied flavor. Fieldstone crafts the best seasonal flavors. When we tell you there's blueberries in our baby bandit flavor, it nearly turns your tongue blue. Women-owned and operated, we brew in Rhode Island using whole, locally sourced ingredients. Fieldstone Kombucha is the perfect replenishing drink after a day on the slopes or a trek in the woods. It's chock full of probiotics and healthy acids to keep you in the top form. Find us at Biederman's in Plymouth, New Hampshire, Mad River Coffee House in Campton, the Concord Food Co-op, and more. Check out our website for the full list of New Hampshire and New England-wide locations. Use code SLASHER, S-L-A-S-R, on our website for 10% off an online order shipped straight to your door. So, fieldstonekombuchaco.com. There you go. That's another, that's another cool gift idea right there. Yeah, excellent. Very nice. Very nice. All right. All right, Stomp, this is the part of the show where we talk about what beer we are drinking. Are you, um, are you drinking anything? I am, yeah. It's, uh, it's an oldie but a goodie. I just went for a wizard by the Burlington Beer Company. It's a double India Pale Ale. I've talked about this one before, but I was just in the mood for something really tasty. And uh, ah, this is the first sip. Yeah. All How right. about you, Mike? I am finishing up my final beer from uh, Treehouse Brewing in, in Charlton. So yeah. this is it. So I got to go back down there and get a reef restock. Uh, but it's pretty good. It is a um, very hazy. So and these things are stiff. So I may be falling off my chair by the end of the night. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. And Mike C, do you um, you just drinking water? Are you drinking anything or just just, just water? water? Very good. Yeah. Very good. So yeah. I I have mine too. So I may switch over. <laughs> Um, all right, awesome. Stomp, this is the part of the show where we talk about what hikes we've been on recently. So um, we didn't end up doing that hike on Saturday on Mount Washington. So we foolishly decided to wait until Sunday because we hoped that like maybe the weather would be okay and we'd see some views. But that was a huge mistake. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The forecast was sort of uh, a little overcast and drizzly. It was like hiking in soupy, soupy yeah air it's just so thick and wet just dripping off the trees fog unbelievable but it was a good time so uh, do you want to talk about it mike yeah yeah so i um i decided that i was going to go hike the bell nap so i knew stomp had mentioned he was going to be doing mount clem so i went on to yeah. my maps and i just take a look and i was like well i'll do clem with him and then cut over to bell nap and piper and grab i think i've got that like gunstock Belknap and Piper left to finish up my Belknap list. So yeah. I figured I would just head over there and grab those, you know, be about a 12 or 13 mile day. So we, I met up with Stomp. We headed over to Mount Clem, but I think about halfway yeah. up, I just was like, there's no views. I want to save those, those peaks for a better day. So I just decided to just head back with Stomp and it ended up being like a six mile hike, but um, yeah. nothing too descript. I mean, the, the only thing I would say that was, Kind of cool was just the pond. Go walking around the pond below Mount Clem is is really yeah, cool. That, that's Round Pond. Yep. Yes, beautiful. Yeah. yeah. So that would have been that was one thirty seven for my New Hampshire fi- highest five hundred. So thanks for joining me on that. Um, I had some plans later in the day, so I had limited time. But I'm glad you came out, Mike. That was fun. But what was tough about it, I'm sure you guys have experienced this elsewhere. Um, it was just that uh, that early winter snow that's slushy wet every step you take you slide four or five inches 
<laughs> so it was a, it was a mess up there, but uh, it was a nice timeout, short and sweet. Yeah, yeah. And I wore my you wore boots. I wore my trail runners because I was like I can just throw yeah. on my spikes if I need them. But my feet got really wet, and they were pretty cold by the time I got back in. So it was I was pushing. I don't think I would have had fun at all taking that 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 route over to um, to Belknap and Piper. I don't think that would have been fun. Yeah, the old Piper Trail over towards Piper from where we were is a long haul. That would you, yeah, it would have been a long day for you. Yeah, and but, I wanted to get uh, back early because I think it was going to start raining at like one, and which it I, did. Yeah, it did. So we got done around right 11, on the money, which was fine. Yeah, perfect. So that's what we got, and I'm I'm assuming Mike C, you've been out a million times. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. a little bit. Okay. In the office nowadays. Oh boy. Have you uh, anything recent? Uh, went out skiing with uh, Ken Hodges. Oh, great, day. great. Doing a little Nordic. So, oh, excellent. That's I've been heading up north. I have about. a project up there that I've okay. been working on. Awesome. Where'd you go skiing? Um, off of uh, Bear Notch Road. Oh, okay, gotcha. The service was down there. I don't want to get too specific. Oh, don't, yeah, sure. Don't give sure. your secret it's spots specific. away. <laughs> i have um yeah. i've got plans matter of fact mike i'm going to be up by your um your area so i'm going to do do mounts i'm going to do stanton over to parker and then maybe get over to stairs and resolution and crawford depending on we're going to we're going to spot a car on river road there or river street whatever that is and and then yeah. davis path and then make a decision but that that'll be a interesting hike i've i haven't done the hike from Mount the Mount Stanton Trailhead and done that section of like Langdon and in that area. So I'm curious what it's going to be like. Yeah, Pickering. Yes. Yeah. And uh, it's, they're nice. There's uh, those are the crippies yes. they call them. It's a bunch of low bush blueberries and a bunch of Scotch pines. I think. Yeah, I think it's Scotch pines up there. Yeah, so I'm 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 going to do that. I think on Saturday. So that should be a fun hike. We're going with a little crew, but yeah. uh, but then Parker. That's just. Going that, that direction and on Davis Path, it's freaking gorgeous. Oh, yeah. yeah I'm That's a really pretty area. Yeah. So we'll yeah, see how the, uh, the snow situation is. But Stomp, you got any plans this weekend or are you just doing your thing? I think I might be heading up to Lonesome Lake with my cousin and his son, um, unless I get called into to work at the last second. But that's the plan. It's just something simple and fun. I got the invite. So I'm like, yeah, I'll go. Sounds good. Yeah. All right, Stomp, so um, next up is Vaucluse. Vaucluse gear. So do you have a sweat problem? Sweat can be extremely extremely uncomfortable on the trails, plus sweat is a serious risk factor. As your clothes get wet, your core temperature can dramatically fluctuate. This can result in hypothermia, heat exhaustion, and dehydration. So we've got good news at Slasher for you. There's a piece of gear that solves the sweat problem, Vaucluse's Ultralight Ventilation Backpack Frame. The frame is a backpack accessory that easily installs in your favorite pack, size 15 liters to 65 liters, and creates a ventilating airflow gap between you and your pack. It's also ultralight, weighing less than a pair of socks at just over three ounces. Whether you're hiking in hot or cold temps, the ultralight ventilation backpack frame is a real game changer when it comes to airflow and ventilation. So visit ValcluseGear.com to order an ultralight ventilation frame today. Use promo code SLASHER. SLASR to enjoy a $5 discount and let them know that Mike and Stomp sent you. Yep, and Stomp, while you were reading that, I just grabbed my backpack to show Mike what it looks like. I was wondering, I was wondering what cool. that racket was. <laughs> Sorry. 
I'll, I'll edit that out. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. So it, It's all good. It's time for Slasher's Guest of the Week. Very cool. Very cool. All right. So uh, this is the part of the show where we're going to interview you, Mike C. So you ready to go? Sure. All right. So I think I'll kick this off and... Just give a like a little bit of background on you, and then Mike, I'll give you sort of my perspective. Like I, I mean, I've been aware of you since I started hiking. So I stepped on, um, I stepped on the mountains the first time in like this uh, probably 2012 around that time, and then pretty quickly, I think I started like doing a lot of research and learning. And I think your some of your articles were like critical to me around like particularly like winter hiking. So we'll get into that, but just to give the listeners some background, so Mike Cherum. Um, he's the owner of Redline Guiding, um, fixture in the White Mountains here. So his background, he's done many trips up Mount Washington. I think he's got a little under a hundred trips up Mount Washington, many rounds of the 4,000 footer list, 52 with a view, terrifying 25, done the long trail. And then he's done the redlining tracing of all the trails in the White Mountains, uh, travel to Europe, in the Alps, the Dolomites. He's done national parks. He's done Mount Fuji. He's been around the Northwest. And then you started as a professional guide in what, like 2013, Mike? Um, somewhere around there, somewhere 2012, around. 2013. All right. So you got, a, you got a pretty good resume. You've been busy. Yeah. So um, why don't you start off by introducing yourself and maybe talk a little bit about sort of your younger days and how you got into outdoor adventures and, and travel and and then, you know, the White Mountains. Um, like a lot of kids, my parents liked the hike, so they dragged me along. My mother was the driving force, um, though my dad was the uh, porter when I needed to be hoisted, which was the case uh, at one years old. I don't remember, but I'm told that I took a ride down Monadnock on my dad's chest. Nobody got hurt. I wanted to do it again or something like that. Uh, Mount Washington at two, and then first time on my own legs was when I was four years old. And we went up Tucker Ravine Trail, and I have some maybe vague memories of it. I, I don't even know. Uh, just being boosted in some of those big steps. But <clears throat> the mountain was a lot different back then. Yeah, and was this like a, did, was this continuous through your whole childhood? Did you grow up in the White Mountains, or where did you grow up? Uh, my father was in the Air Force, okay. so that's how we ended up in Japan. And we always called New Hampshire home base. And my mom was absolutely obsessed with Mount Washington. So while we did hike a few other things, it was always Mount Washington. It was always talking about Green Trail. She was just driven. And my dad was, you know, go along to get along. He was along for the ride, and I didn't have a say in the matter. But I did have, develop early on an appreciation for the smells, the sights, the sounds or the lack thereof, even as a kid. And that stuck with me. That was kind of the, the addictive part of hiking. Yeah. And how, how common is it? Like, do you think, like, what do you think it was about your mom that she was so obsessed about Mount Washington? I mean, I get it. I am too, but it must've been like a kind of a unique thing to be, you know, that focused on hiking back then. 
Yeah, I don't know what it was about Mount Washington that was the driving force for her. Um, other than it's, you know, maybe the same mentality as a lot of people. They look at New Hampshire and they think we have one mountain or two mountains, Socorro yeah. and Mount Washington. You know, so they don't realize what's going on out there. And I think maybe my mom had that tunnel vision where she saw Mount Washington. She saw the only route she knew to Mount Washington, and that's what we did. I remember one time we really stepped outside of our comfort zone and did Lionhead. <laughs> Switch it up a little bit. <laughs> and at what point did you sort of break away from mom and dad and start going off on your own? Um, when I was a teenager, typical uh, rebellious teen, but I still liked the hike, so I would date. Um, I remember taking one date to Green Up. Um, but she was really pissed on the way up. <laughs> oh, man. On the First end. date, last date. Got up there and I broke out back then the Matus Rose mm -hmm. and the little trees up there in the, in the Crumholtz zone and the whole ambiance. She just melted and just loved the experience. Oh, so you got, you got, a, you got a second date out of that one? <laughs> uh, no. Okay, well, yeah. I think, I think, <laughs> I don't think I pursued it because of, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't remember. Yeah, she, she didn't handle herself well enough on the trail, right? So moving along. You know, I asked her if she knew how to hike. Yeah. And I said, really good mountains. You know, Mount Adams is pretty tough. And uh, she was like, oh, no, I'm totally good. And, and in a way, I was, you know, the same as my mom. I had my focus. I did Mount Adams several times. I always went up Lowe's Path because it's what I knew. And, yeah, you know, yeah. back then, I, you know, you had jeans and a wool shirt. And, you know, it was a mix and match. It was real kind of a crapshoot, not just because of the era, but, of course, my age at the time. So, did you? Uh, was there ever a period in your life where you went away from hiking, or were you? Was it all? Has it always been part of your life? Um, for about twenty years with my first wife. Okay. Um, she, if you were to hold a gun to my head and make me pick oceans or mountains, I'm a mountains. Mm -hmm. She's definitely an oceans. Okay. I compromised, became in oceans for 20 years, and we boated as a family, and it was great fun, and I, I love it. I will cherish those experiences and those memories forever. Mm. But when, uh, when that marriage ended, I got back into hiking. I stopped smoking butts, <laughs> and I got in shape, and um, boy, your lungs regenerate if you quit. They do. I, oh, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's amazing. I do now. And it uh, would probably have been an incentive for me to quit smoking sooner. I mean, I did it just to save my life, to, to, to prolong my death. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it off. Wow. I didn't realize I was going to, you know, re re uh, redevelop myself and, you know, yeah. find energy and strength and vigor and as I got older. Yeah, that's amazing. Like, so you did, so you, how long did you smoke for? 33 years 33 years wow and it is crazy people don't realize like i think it's like there's some formula they talk about but generally your lungs will reestablish themselves after about a year all of that tar and nastiness yeah. will will get out of mm -hmm. there and then obviously yeah, they say seven seven years for a complete regeneration okay wow wow so, wow that's great that's crazy and, and you know and i started feeling within three months i was out hiking again Mm -hmm. I was living down southern New Hampshire, so I was, you know, I hiked Pawtucket six times back to back. It's like I need a bigger mountain. <laughs> Do you ever get uh, like those those cravings? Ever? Mm -hmm. Do you ever get those cravings ever? For so butts. I have a funny, 
Yeah, or just yeah, smoking nothing. Not at all. Interesting. Not at all. Do not miss it yeah. ever. So, because mm. my background is, yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't touch the stuff anymore. But when I was in, in music, you know, performance and bands and stuff, we were in smoky clubs for a decade. And uh, when I got out of that scene, you got that that craving, yeah. just even from the secondhand smoke. It's just unbelievable. Very yeah. strange. To me, yeah. it sounds, it smells really nauseous yeah. now. Oh, that's so smell, horrible. That's like, that's really gross. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I smoked a little bit in my younger days, and that's the same way. Like, I stopped, and like, I, now the smell yeah. of it is just vile. As a matter of fact, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's so rare to see anybody smoking that it's, it's, it's startling sometimes when I smell it, because I'm like, what's, what is that? So. That's yeah, true. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they hide them now. Yeah. All right, so you made your way back into so you you know, you your first marriage ends, you made your way back um to to hiking. From those early days when you were hiking, even when you started back up again, um can you talk about like from your perspective how has the scene around the whites changed in the last like 10-15 years now that there's so much access to information for people about hiking? Um Based on my earlier memories, it's just more, more people, more consumption of parking spaces. Uh, some trails are getting wider. There's a photo oh, yeah. I have of me and my mom on Tuckerman Ravine Trail. I outstretch my arms, touch both sides of the trail. Hmm. You know, it's not like that now. No, no. <laughs> and it was, it was, it's you know, not even driving snowcats through it, so. <laughs> Yeah. So it's just a lot more. Um, I still get the same vibe, you know, that whole the pink and knots experience, the, the log cabins, and the whole you know the center for tramping and skiing. It still has that vibe. It still has that educational quality. I still like it. Mm. Uh, I mean, some will say that maybe the AMC has lost some of their focus over the years. And, hey, I'm not going to comment on that. Maybe they have. Maybe they haven't. But uh, yeah, who knows? But they still have that. There's still that scene going on, that mountain scene, and that hasn't changed. That's stayed pretty consistent. There's just a lot more people floating around. Yeah, and you've taken the approach, like, and we'll talk a little bit more about like the the content on the the uh, red light guiding website and and everything. But you've sort of taken the approach, and me and Stomp when we first started the podcast, like we got this from some people where they would say like, "Hey, don't talk about that mountain, don't talk about that place," and like we still keep something secret. But we also, you know, realistically, like there's certain areas where you know people are going to go, so we're not gatekeeping too much here. And I don't think you do that really either. Like you're, and especially for a guide, like you could. <laughs> You know, you don't have to disclose like, okay, here's what my winter pack is going to. Here's what what we're going to provide for a winter pack for customers. Like, I remember going on your website and being like, I'm going to compare what he has for a suggested winter hiking setup to what I have and fill in the hole. So you've never been one to sort of like hold back information. Like you're all about education. Can you talk about like, what did you struggle with that decision, or was that a, a no brainer for you? Um, to me, that was a no brainer because. Redline Guiding is my second company. I had a mail order company for 20 years and we sold biological pest controls. When I started that company, you know what I knew about biological pest controls? Nothing. So I put my nose in the grindstone and became an expert in that. And people love dealing with an expert. So we blogged about it, did the same thing I'm doing now. And this is so I took the same approach. It worked before. Why won't it work again? And it has. Mm. So we give the education away, but it's, you know, 
we get the notoriety, I guess, for sharing it, and and uh, and people like to do business with it because we know because we have some of this inf- critical information. Yeah, and what so. what was the um, I guess what was the original vision, and what can you talk talk us through when you said you know what I can I could really set set up a business here and and and, and make this work. Um, so I came to the area before I moved to the area, I came to the area looking for work and I talked to a guide agency in the area and I told them that I want to be a hiking guide. They laughed, literally laughed in my face and said, there's no such thing. Mm. Forget the Crawford brothers. We won't talk about that. So no such thing as hiking guides in the area. Fine. I'm stubborn. I'm going to become a hiking guide anyway. Avalanche training, LNT training, leadership school, just this, that, other thing. My medical certifications, doing all the stuff. I'm thinking there's no formal track in New Hampshire, so I'm just thinking to myself, what do I need to do to become a guide? And then I got qualified, and I went to work for somebody else. Uh, for a few years and led a bunch of trips in Mount Washington and did some trips out west that got it on Rainier and Hood and Shook Sand and stuff and cool experiences. Um, and then at some point, because of the sale of my other company and needing more money and stuff, I was in the position where I needed to like start another company. So I, so I did and started Redline Guiding. Um, our thought at first is we would be like everyone else. We would lead group tours. And if somebody wanted private, maybe we would add a little bit of money and they would make it private. But that's not the reality. The reality is we were giving one-on-one tours in small groups. And so we just kind of, we didn't create ourselves. We just became who we already were, if that makes any sense. No, that makes sense. That's and then how long do you think it took for you to just get some traction where you went from, and, and you've obviously you've started businesses before, so you've got an entrepreneurial focus. Is there a certain point where you're, you're obviously in that sort of storming mode where you're like, okay, I got to establish this and, you know, revenue is going to come maybe that first six to 12 months. How long do you think it took you to get to the point where you said, yeah, you know what, I, this is, this is viable and, and we can make this work? Within the first year. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I started in October, so that particular year we didn't know, but by spring of the following year, even after the first the first winter, going into spring and summer, we were getting bookings, and that became a busy season for us. It's like, yeah, this is totally going to work. Okay, and- It's a year-round business with a couple of shoulder seasons that get weird, slower stuff like that yeah and then um so you had wilderness first aid training you had avalanche training so you got you you just took the perspective that i'm going to get as many certifications as i can just so that i have that on my resume um yeah yeah so i could become a good guy okay and i and i and i and i became a class one leader for the amc and i did all of their leadership stuff and i uh, i led for a couple of meetup groups well-respected ones at the time mm-hmm. because i wanted experience of dealing with people's personalities on the trail i didn't know what that was going to be like i was completely fresh to it mm. but it was like you know i was like what do i want to do well, i want to become a hiking guy boom i'm going to become a hiking guy there's like no stopping me so I, that was just my decision yeah. um i don't know if it's it's luck skill or some combination between the two that it's it's so far it's working i'm able to pay my bills i don't make hardly anything but money isn't my gold my gold is free time and i do have a lot of that 
I get, I have unstructured days, which I, I like that. Yeah, yeah. We'll call it executive time. <laughs> yeah, I, I get that for sure. <laughs> with the, with the initial like interactions you had, like I would think that like all the technical pieces that you had, like that's sort of like to me is a, is a pretty, you know, you can, you can build a path and say like, I've got to get these certifications and I've got to get this knowledge of hiking these areas. But the, the people aspect and the personalities you're dealing with, like I have to imagine like, there's a huge difference between you guiding two completely like inexperienced rookies that just want to go out and learn about the White Mountains versus you guiding somebody that's been hiking out in like, you know, Pacific Northwest in these huge mountains, but wants to just get some experience in the whites. Like you've got to deal with, you know, inexperienced people are going to defer to you. Experienced hikers that just don't know the region, the region are going to probably have opinions and you've got to deal with that. So what, what did you learn about people early on and how, how hard was it to pick that up? Um, that was actually pretty easy. Um, one thing that we noticed, uh, I noticed as a guide, is that when people come to me or they're doing something, that's because they want to be there. And that really changes the whole atmosphere. They're having fun. This is a this is a day they're looking forward to. It's not like they're standing in line at the DMV. Yeah, yeah. So you don't you don't have to deal with too many <laughs> difficult people. Nope, nope. Very very rare. Um, yeah, very very rare. Yeah. What did you- a couple times we we've, we've had a couple of people that came to us that were one guy was cheating on his wife, and there was somebody else that was clearly a bigot, and we just like completely zap those people you're done you know, it's zero tolerance yeah, yeah I get that um, so. as far as how you work so the initial process like if I'm a if I'm a potential client like what happens like I know you have like an intake form on your website that people can go on to but yeah. what is your what's the general sort of rundown on how how people can can work with you with the guide service so we look at it, uh, and sometimes people will contact us and ask a few questions. That's totally fine and understandable, and we will send them to the booking form. It's not a payment gateway, and that starts the process. The booking form is long. It asks a lot of medical information and stuff, and it's a commitment. So when people fill that out, even though they haven't paid anything, they're invested in this. We reach out to them, find out exactly what they want, get their experience level, find out some other pertinent facts and details. And that's when I say, okay, I have enough information now. Let me go see and assign one of my guides to it. And I'll talk to, I'll usually cherry pick the guides and say, I want you on this because I think you'd be a good fit with this person or whatever. Um, and once that is established, I reach out to the guest, which is what we call them instead of clients. I reach out to the guest and I send them an email. I CC the guide and I put the two together and let them communicate. Right after that email goes out, I send an invoice for a deposit on the activity, whatever adventure or educational opportunity that they're doing. That's the general phase. Uh, you know, obviously the weddings are handled a little bit differently. They don't use the regular booking form. And then we do have a few things like wilderness first aid, which is done through solo instructors. And that has its own registration form and stuff like that. But pretty much it's, it's, it's manual. Um, I don't have an online checkout, and I don't plan on adding one at any time soon, even though we do have a shop page, and you can order stuff. For bookings and stuff, I want to talk to people. This is our chance to get it right and to find out what people really want and what they're after. And we get uh, we get all types. We get people that are very experienced. We've guided people who have already completed their grid. 
because they wanted somebody that was a companion for the day that had a good personality, it had a good technical understanding, and it wasn't going to become a liability to the person hiring us. To them, it's mm. worth it. Yeah, and cool. to the really knowledgeable, they're doing they're doing Adams in the wintertime. They're hiring a guy because they know they shouldn't be doing it by themselves, and they don't have a buddy that day, you know. So they're hiring us for for that reason. Yeah, that yeah, makes sense. Back up. With the um, with the adventure side, um, how how does it usually play out with the guest? Like, do, uh, do the guests typically come to you to say, like, I have an idea, I want to hike this particular area, or do you find that frequently you are the guide uh, that you assign to the the guest has to make a decision or make a suggestion to say, like, hey, here, here's like two or three areas that we could go hike, and what do you what do you think? Uh, probably half and half. Okay. Um, so some people will come to us and say, hey, I want to. I want to bag Mount Washington or I am working on my winter 48 and I would like help with this mountain or this mountain or I want to do a backpack or, or something like that. So these are people with an agenda and then we have other people that are, you know, I just did a, took a couple of uh, women uh, out on a half day hike uh, from England and uh, I, based on their fitness level and what they wanted, and I gave them some options for the day. Not that I gave them actual options, but I had options based on answers to specific questions. And based on everything that they told me, I said, well, Willard would be a good choice for a half-day hike. And it was actually perfect for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we were fortunate because one thing they didn't really want were crowds and I told him, well, Willard is probably going to have a bunch of crowd, you know, a bunch of people up there. And it wasn't bad. So we, we lucked out in that regard. Yeah. They had a really yeah. lovely time. So a lot of times that's, you know, it's dependent on timing, depending on weather will sometimes play a factor. Sometimes we'll have an agenda at Mount Washington being the case. A lot of times where that is our focus for the day, but how we get there is variable based on conditions. Yeah, yeah, and I'm curious how, uh, I'm assuming uh, you must be an expert at this at this point, and this almost never happens, but is it pretty easy through the intake process with the guests to sort of suss out their fitness level and make sure that there's not a mismatch before you get on trail? Yeah, we ask two questions. One is their uh, self-proclaimed fitness level. And the way we ask the question, it's one of these tricky survey things where there's an even number of choices which forces the, the part participant to lean one way or the other. And I find that very telling. Okay. So we get an idea of what their fitness level is, and then we get a subjective opinion of what we what they want their day to be like. And sometimes we tell them, it's like, you know, you're going to have to readjust your, your things here because this is not going to work. You're not going to have a relaxed day on Mount Washington when you're somewhat fit. You know, giving us these answers. It's like, this is not going to be a relaxed day. This is going to be a big day for you. You're going to have to dig deep and push hard. So having these subjective questions tells us a lot. And then we can get a, an idea for uh, their experience talking to them on the phone. Yeah, yeah, because you want to like you, you have to find that like Goldilocks, like that sweet spot where you know you push them enough and you take them on a cool adventure. But you, I would assume, you never want to have a situation. You know, I'm sure you do, but you've had this. But like you, you want to avoid a situation with a guest where you know you've got to turn around halfway because the fitness isn't yep. fit, and it does happen. Yeah, yeah. So, sure. especially on things like Washington, where it's, you know, a lot of turnarounds on that mountain because of either fitness um, or weather. 
Yeah. Um, if people are good with their self-care, usually their deer doesn't present a problem. Like blisters and stuff can be dealt with before they become blisters with good self-care. But yeah. But yeah, we get some of that people turning around. It's you know we have to. Um, we do private tours by default. So generally, we'll do like a one-on-one. So if that person wants to turn around, it's like it's your day. Mm-hmm. It doesn't affect anyone. So um, when we start mixing people together of all you know flavors and stuff like this, uh, one person's might be really slow, and one person might be really fast. The fast person's going to feel like they're being stifled and held down all day, and the the uh, slow person's going to feel like they're being pushed all day. So our solution to that is put the slow person directly behind the leader and have the leader slow things way down. That way the slow person isn't taking the heat from slowing down the group. And Mm. the uh, speedy person is just like, just go back there and shut up. Yeah, 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 go take (laughs) a rest. And one of the things that, uh, one of the other things, I I picked this up from you on either social media comments or like you might have put an article out about this but like it was specific to mount washington and i always took this advice and i and i think you were the one that sort of tipped me off on this is like the same thing you talk about how your mom always went up tuckerman and that was how she knew and then you took but i mean bootspur nelson crag i mean those are if you want to avoid crowds in mount washington like there's absolutely no problem doing that, but you just have to keep an open mind about the route that you're going to take. And and you've, yeah. you've posted that a few times. So I'm assuming, do you still like, will you still tell people like, hey, you know, let's avoid the craziness and go up boot spur? Do you still? Yeah. Still and Glenn Boulder's another Glenn Boulder, way to yep. climb Mount Washington. Yep. It's a kind yep. of a cool way to do it. I've done it that way before. Uh, yeah, we have an article on our blog. It's called the boot spur option. Mm-hmm. And that article gets a lot of traffic a lot of hits yeah. for some reason yeah that one that article is cool is encoded it's a beautiful in my approach brain. when i tell people about mount washington i'm like there's don't just do tuckerman there's another trail on mount washington you're going to encounter people at some point at the ends of this trail but it's uh, raymond pass yes. which mm-hmm. runs from tuckerman Ravine trail to the old jackson road mm-hmm. there's moss on the rocks and errors you get on that and if you can't hear the auto road you don't even know you're on mount washington this is it's almost like wilderness it's really cool yeah yeah i've been on i've been on raymond path before so it is uh mm. is a cool area and it's not well traveled and i i like that particular area because that's i think that's the area that they came up in the original ascent um when Bell Knapp and that whole crew came up Mount Washington the the first time that they came from like Darby Field's Dar- first ascent of Washington. Well, Darby Field was before, but this was like another. Okay. Uh, this was an early ascent. Darby Field, I think, came up through um, isolation and and and. Yeah, I don't know. There's so many. There's so many <laughs> legends clues to that, and all the clues seem to point to different things. It's yeah. frustrating because I want to recreate his journey with somebody yeah. at some point. This is a, a television idea we had. It would uh, be a cool idea. I mean, as far as I know, what I've read in the early history is that um, he came up through, maybe, matter of fact, where I'm going, I, everything I've read says he sort of ascended, he ascended from the um, the Monto, Montalban Range. And came, Montalban Range, came up yeah. Maybe through Stanton and... and yeah, yeah, it could have been Davis Path. Yeah. It could have been Boot Spur. It could have been Glen Boulder. They all kind of point to that segment. Most of them point to that segment anyway. Yeah, yeah. I've read. I've read different accounts, and different accounts lead to different conclusions. Yeah. <laughs> but I've definitely the Montalban Ridge. I've you know that is one of the very viable options. 
Mm-hmm. We'll never know for sure. I don't think. We'll but. never know. But if you need if you need an extra for the TV show, I'm in. Let me know. Okay. All right. <laughs> I'll put in. Uh, I'll put the old fashioned suspenders on. Stop. You know what I mean? The little house in the prairie clothes. We'll, we'll go. One of my uh-huh. guys is Native uh-huh. American. So what's that, Mike? Nice. One of my guys is Native American. Oh, okay. And mm. and there was a, a Native American guide with Derby Field. So oh, very true. Very true. We'll get yeah, him on there. Really bring this thing home. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so that's a good segue. Is like with your guides. Do you have guides that like special? Like I know Arlette, and like I've seen. You know, she does like a lot of backpacking overnight stuff. But do they all have like different specialties or, or strengths, or do they all pretty much have like are they all pretty much? Flexible? They do. Um, some are climbers by heart. Uh, summer skiers and there are some people who can do it all um but yeah there's definitely some specialties in the group and then you know i have one guy that's he's a split boarder snowboards in the backcountry but i have other guys that uh have skis and ski in the backcountry right that was one of my questions so do you venture out into backcountry bushwhacking and yeah we'll do anything not just hiking other modes skiing oh that's fantastic pretty much anything i i love doing that just going out in the woods with nordic uh back, oh, yeah. uh, back country nordic gear and yeah, just great. explore areas it's really kind of wild you can see animals and stuff that you don't normally see oh sure that's so, fantastic on the education side so you teach like i don't think you do this all the time but like you'll have is it one day classes or are they weekend classes or how, how does the education piece of this work? So you'll, aside from the adventures, you also bring people in the classroom environments and then take them out yeah. in practical training, right? Well, like uh, one class we offer is wilderness navigation. It has a couple of half day segments, which aren't great unless it's just refresher. Uh, but we have a full day class and we have a two day class and that's pretty much what we do with all of our stuff. Most, most of our stuff doesn't have two day classes, but, um, we do have it for some things like glacier travel. We have a two day class for that because it's so involved. Even the, the one day is just like so full of information because there's a lot to it. So with the glacier uh, training, do you, is it a lot of people that are doing like, um, high mountaineering that, that you know, they want to get ready for Trips. rainier or they want to get ready for like the Himalayas. Yeah, and they'll usually come to us in the spring okay. and we will take them up like Black Mountain Ski Area with their permission, of course, yeah. and we'll conduct training there. It's perfect because it's nice and wide so they can learn rope travel, learn how to you know, travel as a rope team on a glacier type of environment. And then, you know, we teach crevasse rescue um teach them how you know one person in the hole one person out of the hole a team outside the hole one person in the hole and then self-extrication so you, you learn how to climb a climbing rope basically yeah. with uh you know with an ascender you right. guys use on with that. an ascender right wow so that's interesting uh, i tend not to use pro six which are it's a friction mm-hmm. hedge it's just so hard to move. I think the weight of an ascender is worth it if you are, think you're going to have a real probability of having to climb out of a glacier or out of a crevasse. <laughs> um, yeah. The navigation piece of it, this is, I've always been like, um, I guess I'm curious, like I've dabbled, like I've checked out like YouTube videos on like compass and map and stomp, I think is much more accomplished in this area, knows way more than I do because he's a bushwhack guy, but um I've heard and I've talked amongst like my friends and things like this. And we're always like, and I've heard 
like oh it's tough in the whites to just rely on uh like a compass and a map if you're if you don't have like a um like a guide point to to point to you're always in like a green tunnel and it's just tough to navigate that way but can you if i took your class would you would you completely discount that or and and change my mind or how does that work if you took my class the one day class you would learn how to navigate anywhere in the whites okay so it doesn't you could, matter. You don't you could need be as like accurate a, a long. If you time. wanted to, you could be as accurate as you needed to, or you could loosen up. It all depends on the situation, okay. and that's part of the classes. And we use actually Al's head as a perfect example, pretending that there's still like a bushwhack from Black Pond. I think it's more of a herd path now, yeah, but we talked <laughs> Black Pond to Lincoln Brook Trail. Put your hand in your pocket and just go for it. Go no northish, kidding. you're there. If you go too far right. to right, no problem. You hit a river, follow the river. If you go too far to left, you're going to go uphill. You're going to notice that. Yeah. So going yeah. in, you don't have to be accurate hardly at all. Going out, you're aiming for a little pond in the middle of flat yuck. It's hard. To, it's hard to find. It's easy to miss that. So that's when we. So we employ various techniques, and we tell people about bushwhacking in the whites, and you know, especially if that's their focus for taking a class. We talk about the reality, and reality is, uh, you know, often I'll talk about slide uh, peak above the nubble, and how mm-hmm. we did that. It was a multi-pronged approach. We used seven different forms of navigation to get to the top of that it was easy peasy but this is what we did and this is the reality you're using a compass sometimes when you're in that green tunnel when Mm -hmm. everything's the same and you don't know what direction you're going and sometimes you don't you know you're not doing that you're just you know yeah because one of the articles Mm -hmm. in your blog like you talk about the realities of like your battery's gonna die and (laughs) you know you need to be you need to have a plan b and a plan c for the for that occasion yeah, so. yeah. I, uh, my all my friends use GPSs when we go out bushwhacking and stuff. I never do. I, I can't. I guess I have a couple of them, but I don't really use them. But I just a lot of times we're using landforms. It's probably the biggest thing that we're using, and we just um, we pick our routes to take advantage of these features. So instead of yeah. going into some flat area, we try to avoid that and try to get to a ridge line or something like that. So we actually have something to follow. Mm-hmm. Um, there's two. There's two rules. You need to know where you are and you need to know where you're going. If you don't know both of those things, you could be lost. Um, so, but it's easy to do, especially if you have an altimeter. If you have an altimeter, now you have a pretty good idea of where you are in terms of elevation, and that is incredibly helpful. Yeah. Well, assuming you have a map. (laughs) For the the magnetic base plate compasses to get off trail and use the bathroom and make it back to the trail, which if you're on a hill, that's easy to do. You know, the uphill's on my right. When I go back, the uphill's on my left. No problem, Mm -hmm. and I just stay at that level. But if you don't have that. um, Right, right. Altimeter is awesome. Yeah, and I would say that is probably, it's funny you say this, and I don't think about this too much, but I would say, like, you know, you evolve as a hiker. Like, I'm, you know, 10, 12 years into this now, and I've done, like, you know, a lot of distance at this point. And there was a point where I transitioned from thinking in terms of, like, distance as miles to now I I only think in terms of like if I've got to go a certain distance I'm going from one elevation to another and I don't think of mileage anymore I only think of like okay I've got 300 feet of elevation gain coming up versus you know I don't really think too much in terms of you know actual mileage anymore so Mm -hmm. I, I don't know when that changed but maybe that's 
you know, the altimeter is like, it's my number one go-to item. That's where I can sort of tell where I am. Yeah. And I use mine all the time. It's a great tool. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's a tool that is not required that people carry, but it is very useful. If people yeah, understand, if they have a map, where the, and it's a topographical map and it's contour lines on it, every time they pass a contour line, they, they know where they are on that trail if they have an altimeter. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, the contour um, lines are huge. Like it's the, the flume slide trap is what we call it when we talk about search and rescue is everyone looks at the flume slide trail and they say like, oh, that's a short hike, but they don't see yeah. the, the contour lines. The amount of gain, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Mm. Wow, this is interesting. So just I wanted to ask you about the wedding services as well. And then I do want to get back into sort of some hiking advice for you. But so the wedding business, like talk about that. When did that come to fruition? Was that something you always planned or is that something you stumbled on? Um, When I worked for the other company that I worked for, I thought it would be a good idea. So I became a JP. We never did anything with it. And then when I broke out on my own, I said, oh, I got to make this one of the things that I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't know if it really fits, but, you know, it works. How many weddings have you it's, done? It's a lot of fun. I, I highly recommend it to couples because it's dirt cheap compared to some options. Yeah, right. And talk about grandeur. I mean, I've done a, a wedding in Huntington Ravine before. And it's like, you know, we're on the f- top of the fan is where we did it. Oh, wow. And, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a, it's like beats any cathedral. <laughs> right. <laughs> now, do the, I would assume that the biggest issue you run into is the bride trying to manage like, okay, I want to get on the, you know, I want to get into Tuckerman Ravine and get that view. But, you know, Aunt Bertha can't hike up to uh, Tuckerman Ravine to make it all that way. Yeah, so true. you've got to balance like you've got to pick some lower elevation stuff so that people can get get to the wedding. Right. Yeah, and there's a lot of places like Elephant Head that are just super pretty. Uh, Glen Ellis Falls, which I have no idea what that is going to look like when they are done. They're doing some major construction over there. They've clear-cut the whole parking really? lot. Oh, yeah. Huh. Yeah, big things going on over at Glen Ellis. Interesting. So, uh, and sometimes, you know, these mountains like Wildcat and Loon and Cannon and Washington offer great options for people that have – friends and family with mobility issues, but they still want that mountain experience. Mm-hmm. You know, we could stop on uh, the auto road um, where Nelson Craig trail crosses and get everybody over there and just tell them just to stay on the rocks folks. And it's a real flat, short walk. Next thing you know, we're standing just outside the state park actually. And, oh. uh, uh, you know, have an amazing wedding in an amazing place. So, so those are good options for people who, you know, want to still have a mountain wedding, but they want people there that aren't going to, you know, hike. Yeah. And do you find like, is it a lot of like second marriages? Is it a lot of people that do their first marriages? Like what's the, what's the profile? Uh, Probably about 75% are first time marriages with younger people. I've done some vowels, renewals, and uh, some older person marriages. Uh, so, but yeah, we'll see just young people, yeah. first marriage. And do you have your like spiel down? Like, do you have to memorize like a lot of words? Like, I, I, I know um, I've been to a couple of weddings where people got like deputized to BJPs just for that specific wedding. And it's like, it was a mi- yeah. it's a mixed bag. Like sometimes these, you know, they don't do that well. So, so I have a couple of scripts that I offer people. Okay. And I will sometimes insert a prompt and stuff like that into the scripts. But it's a funny story. When I first became a JP about a week before my first wedding, it's like, oh, shoot, I got to say something. Right? Yeah. I was completely new. <laughs> you know, fake it till you Oops. make it. 
Uh, so I went online. I found some wedding vows from the state of Florida. I call those my basic vows, and I still use them. <laughs> I have since written uh, my own ceremony, and uh, some couples will choose that. Uh, most people will just go with the, the basic or the custom vows, and then they just a lot of them will insert a prompt. And I suggest that. I think it's a nice touch. Other people will do weird, you know, hand binding ceremonies and candle lighting, unity candles and sand mixing and some some stuff out there. Some of it is not very well suited for mountains. Mm-hmm. So, but that's okay. I do weddings <laughs> at venues too. People say, "Hey, I'm getting married at, at Eagle Mountain House in Jackson." It's like, okay, I can do that. Great you spot. can trust me up. <laughs> oh hell yeah. Awesome. And then how does how's music handled? Like do they just bring like a uh, like a uh, no music? I maybe I've had one person bring background music and they just did, did like a portable speaker. Okay. All right. So So yeah, not much of that uh going on. Wow. Um, oh, and I've wow. shot some video, sometimes we'll do that. Wow. Um I did one wedding on Bondcliff and they hired me to video the whole thing and put together like a 20 minute video or something real nice memory for them yeah that's cool stop you and mrs stop should renew your vows <laughs> hey we're doing Correct. fine kid we're doing fine okay all right, all right. <laughs> oh yeah we don't yeah we don't want you renewing your vows we know what that means now mike has informed us yeah now that right. you know so yeah, yeah. Well, suspicious and trust us <laughs> Anyway, but uh, we'll just keep that between the three of us. So, Um, (laughs) so back to the hiking, Mike. So another thing that you, uh, I actually, it was interesting. Like when I was researching for the show, I was like, you know, I've gone to this damn site like quite a bit. Like this, so a lot of stuff I'm referencing when I'm talking to Mike is on the Redline Guiding uh, website. So there's a blog section on there, and there's all kinds of information on there. It's it's fantastic. But you advocate for 13 essentials and not 10 essentials. So can you? It's so funny, like I'm going to be giving away some of the stuff I talk about on the show is like directly because of you. But anyway, can you talk about like your, why is it 13 and not 10? So I just felt for up here that the 13 was more realistic. The 10 essentials is nice, easy to remember, even though most people actually don't remember the 10 essentials. If you ask a person on the street, most people go plank on you after just two or three items. Uh, But the 13 essentials, we added basically a pad to get the patient off the ground. Some sort of sheltering, whether it be a tent, bivy, tarp, it doesn't have to be fancy. So that's 12. And then the 13th essential is indeed a wild card. And that changed. Originally, when it came up with 13, I felt that sun protection was so important that it should become an essential item. And then on some day when there was a lot of black flies, it's like, uh, what about bug spray? And Mm. that's when I realized they needed to transform the 13th essential to make it a wildcard item. So we call it protection. It could be sunblock. It could be insect repellent. It could be a harness. And all the jingly stuff that climbers carry on their on their you know their racks, so mm-hmm. so it's it's a it's a wild card. It's defined by where you're going, by who you are, what the situation is going to be. By the because there there is going to be usually something that would be essential that's actually not on that essentials list. Um, and there are certain items from the thirteen essentials that we consider mandatory if these uh, if you don't have these mandatory items then you really could be in 
trouble. If you get into trouble, you could get fined, and that would be a map. Not necessarily a compass, because most people don't know how to use it anyway. But a map, they can usually figure out, especially if they start right at the trailhead and have their map folded out to where they're going to be and keep doing that as repeating at every junction and stuff throughout the day, then they can stay pretty good. Extra clothing required. You need to have your layers. Uh, Extra food and water. Yeah, required or water. You don't necessarily have to carry it, but you have to have a solid plan to, to filter it or to deal with it. Headlamp with spare batteries. Required. You cannot hike in the dark. First aid kit. So, Mike, I've always said with with the headlamp, I always have advocated for people to just carry two as a backup because I've just seen too many weird things happen with headlamps. Yeah. Well, plus it's hard to change one if if you unless you have another one if you're like by yourself. So, yeah, I carry a headlamp, spare batteries, and I also carry a little petrol headlamp with has has a drawstring headband. Mm The thing is tiny. It's like the size of a quarter. Great for a spare headlamp, though, and it's instantly ready. Um, So first aid kit is one of those items where it's like, I'm not going to say that that's required, even though it's an essential item, because the reality is usually the boo-boo is so big that that first aid kit's not going to do much to help you, or that first aid kit is, you know, the first aid kit's just woefully inadequate for what you're going to have or the thing is just so superficial. It's like, just suck on that for the day, you know, for a moment. The bleeding will stop. You'll be fine. Yeah. I find that with and, snowmobile guiding because those accidents are generally pretty traumatic. You know, you don't come out yeah. of a snowmobile mobile crash and be able to treat it with a little first aid kit, yeah. <laughs> generally speaking. Fortunately, you have a machine to carry a big first aid kit with, you know, traction splints <laughs> and all kinds of cool stuff. To right. <laughs> so... Knife multi-tool, required, oh, absolutely. not required. Whistle, noisemaker, not required. Lighter, matches, fire starter, not required. Cord rope, not required. Rain jacket, rain protection, yeah, that's really required. So we went through this, and the rest of this, uh, oh, very protection. We put an asterisk next to that saying that that is required, too, because it's probably going to be something that's really key, but... Yeah. So when we guide people, we would like them to have these those really important items, and they don't even need a map. Um, but we also try to educate others that we're not guiding, just general list. This is what you should bring when you go hiking. Yeah, yeah. and I think the biggest thing, and I, I've, I mean, I've said this so many times on the show, but that foam sleeping pad, I think with the Kate Matastrova situation, like the thing that really hit home for me was there was some discussion on social media around it, but the need for you to buy eight to 12 hours of time if you're injured in a winter winter hiking situation. And I solo hike in winter a lot. And the foam sleeping pad is in, in ideally like a light tarp or a bivy. That's what's going to buy you hopefully eight hours, 10 hours to get yeah. a rescue. Because if, if you don't have that and you're hit, sleeping directly on the ground, like that's it. It's going to be game over very quickly. Yeah. I think the first time I did my wilderness first responder course, they told us in the opinion of the instructor that the foam sleeping pad was the most important piece of safety gear. Yeah. Not just for getting a patient off the ground, but also using it to pack splints and, and whatnot. Yeah, um, for sure. I have a couple of kits. If I'm going and we're going to be experiencing a, 
a lot of um, exposure to traumatic injury. I have a trauma-based kit with a lot of cravats and things that are designed to deal with that type of injury. Normally, when I'm guiding, I just carry a multi-use first aid kit that can handle myriad things okay. It's not going to be great for any one thing. But, you know, sometimes all people need is a plan. Okay, you don't have a foam pad, but you are going to be hiking in a forest with fir trees and you brought a sharp knife and you intend to cut cut fir boughs if you run into trouble that's a plan that's solid that that works for me yeah it's like you know obviously if you can bring a fir pad then you don't have to cut down the national forests to get off the ground and that's probably ideal yeah yeah but if people are thinking ahead that's you know that's the macgyver in us yeah, and you have, you on, your, on your blog, you have basically two conflicting stories, the anatomy of a rescue story, which sort of talks yeah. about the foam pad and the person, and these are fictional stories, but you talk about sort of the anatomy of rescue around the person being able to keep themselves safe and reasonably comfortable for 8 to 12 hours so that a rescue team can come find them, and then you also yeah. talk about the fast and light hiker that sort of t- that basically foregoes a lot of the essentials in the winter situation and ends up dying of hypothermia because they've chosen to sort of go fast and light and they didn't have what they needed to wait out that that amount of time for a rescue to come to them. And you're talking about the how I died. Correct. Hiking yeah, how I died story. hiking, and then the other yeah. story is the anatomy of a rescue story. The uh, the impetus for that particular story, by the way, was actually my own experience okay. up there. Uh, I didn't. I didn't uh, get encased in ice. That did happen. My trekking poles were, you know, an inch thick. It was. It was pretty wild. My my hood became a helmet. But it was up there. It was some of the things were going through. And I, you know, it was an uneventful day for me. I went up. I summited. I came down. I was the only one on the mountain. I checked in with some people on the way up. I checked in with some people on the way out, and you know, it was, it was all cool. But I did stand there at the top of Tarkman Ravine, ice forming on the rock saying, should I go up? And kind of having that inner dialogue. So, um, I don't, don't necessarily going hot, uh, fast and light that day or, or something, but um, there's another story I can think of which was uh, somebody else from the hiking community that did a story on uh, an incident that he got into trouble. The name of the story is Not Here, Not Now, the Epic of Dan McGinnis. Oh, yeah. And he was he was kind enough to share that story. He's a great guy. Yeah, he's prolific. Yeah, he I haven't seen too much of him lately, but I was following him closely for quite a while. Yeah, great so guy. He got into trouble uh, because he didn't have his compass available. He had, and he knew how to use it. it was at the bottom of the pack. He he decided to not do it and ended up getting disoriented up there. Hmm. Yeah, if I recall that story, I think I read that a long time ago. He got into some kind of trouble maybe between Monroe and Eisenhower or something in that area. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it was right before, uh, right after you dropped down, before you hit Eisenhower, and that's about 700 feet down. We went in the summertime uh, to try to find, like, the approximate elevation of where he was, and it's just, like, it's way thick. We couldn't do it. We got down there as far as we could. We dropped maybe three, 400 feet, and that was it. Impassable. Yeah, it's probably been the that's probably the last time anyone's been in that ravine section since you guys went down there. I bet that's never probably, gets traveled. Yeah. So yeah, so wow. like, over, that was a foam pad was not going to help. Yeah, yeah, I get that. It's just the, the just the conditions were just so totally off the hook. That whole period of time, those few days. 
with the winds and the cold. I mean, people weren't going to the grocery store because it was too cold. Yeah, yeah. And you um, you are involved in search and rescue, so you do help in some of those situations. Um, can you talk, and you don't have to get into any details, but can you talk sort of about your search and rescue background and how long you've been involved in that? Um, I was asked the uh, last week we had an annual meeting, I think it was last week, and I was asked how long I was in search and rescue, and somebody said 11 years, because I didn't know. Wow. I was somebody who knows and keeps track, and I think they were in it for 12 years, so they're a year more than me. But, I, you know, I was part of that uh, recovery with Kate, and there's been a few uh, episodes out there of, yeah. Do you um do you, do you get like a, a sixth sense on when you know the rescue is going to come? Um, no, not no. at all. No, you don't know. No, we 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 have no idea when that phone is going to ring, and you know, other than probably a weekend, probably in the summertime, that's when most of the calls come in. Yeah. Uh, you know, but we do have a sense for how things are going to play out sometimes. In that particular situation, I think we all kind of knew what we were getting into, what we were going to expect, because we just couldn't... The, the concept of survivability was completely foreign. Yeah, yeah. I think everybody knew that weekend was not the weekend to be out. Yeah. Uh, thoughts on newbies getting into hiking? What's some basic advice that you tell people if they don't have any experience, like you know, basic gear and, and info for people? Um, just go out and Google and you know, find some basic. There's a ton of information out there to kind of point people in the right direction. They have to understand that they don't know what they don't know. That there's things out there that might that might be obvious to somebody that they are completely missing. They have to understand that there are things like that. So to seek the you know to spend an afternoon with a guide and just you know when you're starting off and to get filled in on some of the details is great. I mean it's it's, it's money well spent. And a lot of people have done this as they've progressed. They continue to hire us because they're upping their game. They're going for something else, and they need a new, new level of training. Yeah, and then as far as places to hike, like, I mean, our standard sort of advice to people, like, okay, if you want to do a 4,000-footer, like, start with Mount Pierce and work your way up. Like, do you have any any sort of sage advice that's different from that, or is that pretty sage? Uh, no, and Pierce is usually the one we recommend. We do have an article on our blog about hiking the 4,000-footers in New Hampshire, in which case we do offer some um, information on ones to start with and ones to end with, and the rest of the stuff's just in the middle. Got it. I think some of the lists are really cool, so one key bit of advice I have offered to new hikers is keep track. You don't know it now, but you may want this information later when you decide that you're going to hike all of the trails described in the White Mountain Guidebook or something. So keep track of what you hike uh, and just kind of think in that way. Uh, so I think the lists are all great things. The 48, the 52 of the view, the terrifying 25. My advice if you do the terrifying 25 is do all of them. It's like thirty-four mountains or thirty-four trails. Do all of them, and then you could. Then I would say get the patch. Um, oh no, I didn't. I didn't do the Devil's Patch, but I, I didn't do the Devil's Path, but I got the patch, Mike. So. Oh. 
I got to do that spiritual. I even I just like I had done a Kill Kenny traverse and I got to the end and I said I'm not doing it. Oh, just Devil's Hawthorn is really nice too. It's yeah, yeah oh, that's, that's what, what it is. It's very prehistoric yeah. in there. Yeah, yeah, it's very prehistoric. When you get to the end of the trail, it says end of trail. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, one of the, the best I've ever done was the long trail. Okay, you liked it. It wasn't too yeah, it was much. Twenty-one before. days of no adulting. Everything I needed, I carried on my back. I thought about eating, sleeping, pooping, <laughs> doing it all over again. It was that was a really quite the experience. I would so I would recommend anybody, all your listeners, if you want to do something really cool, do something like the long trail. Do do something epic like that. Uh, if you pl- you have to plan it well, otherwise it, you know then you're fighting for your life. But if you plan it well and you send food ahead of time and just think things through, it's like it's so much fun. All right, that's on my list for sure. What about places for ex- so for experienced hikers? You know, we get a lot of people that are you know pretty pretty seasoned hikers. Where where do you suggest they go to avoid avoid the crowds um, and to go to places that they may not think of? Um. Do something like Redline or Trace the Trails. Okay. By default, that is going to get you into places. And, you know, just one example, Caribou Speckled Wilderness. Not as many people over there. That's 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 our sixth wilderness in the White Mountain National Forest, and it's wholly in Maine. And it's got a different vibe. They all have different vibes. And that's something else we have in our blog. It's an article called Finding the Wilderness. We talk about the different personalities of these various wilderness areas. Throwing in things like Kilkenny and Mahusiks, which have some of those qualities but aren't federally designated. So. Yeah, we had Danielle uh, Normand and Rebecca Sperry on last week, and we were talking about the idea of like I, th- I feel like with redliners and tracers, like you could probably blindfold you, drop you into a particular piece of wilderness without telling you where you are, and I bet you most of the, you guys could find like, you could you could sort of correctly guess where you are after a little while. I would think so. As soon as we get a couple pocket views, I think that would be all it would take. Yeah. yeah. So I know Danielle. I've hiked with her a few times. I was with her when she finished her New England 100 highest. Oh, nice. She's oh, very cool. Oh, I like her. She's oh, great. She's great. Crowd. Awesome. What about uh, cool things to do? you get any advice that's not related to hiking? If, if people are going to go up into the whites and, and tour around, any? what's your favorite thing to do? You like Storyland, Santa's Village? Um, Storyland is cool. It's not something, not my thing now. I can now, but uh, I think it's cool. It's, it's something unique. I, I don't necessarily, uh, I probably shouldn't say, I wouldn't necessarily go to the new uh, aquarium. Yeah. It just seems out of place. And, you know, then the anchor, it's an anchor for an Italian restaurant. It's like, at least do a seafood restaurant. It's an aquarium, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Good point. Um, great, great. One of the things that I've done here that I never see anybody doing that almost has marketing ability, it would be a real pain in the butt for someone to do it. But one of these companies that sells the tubes could probably get it done. And that's to get a bunch of wetsuits. You got to get like a full on wetsuit, mm-hmm. but to float the Socko mask and snorkel snorkeling. Ooh, that's a good idea. <laughs> I think I that would a, be a lot of fun. Because I have going a with the current. It's clear water. You can see trout and find you know, all, and all kinds of relics. relics. Where you're basically you're probably crawling along with your hands on the bottom as you're you know going over into the next you know, area. I just. That could yeah, have some potential. Yeah. 
I have a friend that found a Rolex doing that, floating down the Pemi. Nice. <laughs> That's not a bad find. No, Rolex. <laughs> Big money. <laughs> what about, uh, so what's future plans for Redline Guiding? Are you just going to keep going with what you're doing because it's working, or you got any new plans? Um, we're just going to kind of stay the course, I think. Uh, we'll, you know, slowly add this, that, or the other thing as, you know, maybe demand will request something or, or we might do some events. Sometimes those are, some, you know, some good points and bad points about events. The good points, you got to, you know, you can get a bunch of people in and make a bunch of money, but the bad side is you got to get the, you got to make a commitment up front and it takes a while to get the people and so there's challenges. Um, yeah, and you get enough what guys. We, what guys. we do do right now has been a, a metamorphosis to arrive where we are. So we've, like I said before, is we, we've kind of figured out who we were, and just we're going with the flow. It's like we thought we might do this, and this is the direction we might take, but that was not the reality. We meandered here, and we decided, okay, this is this is what's working for us, so we just go with that. So. I guess, you know, it's just self-awareness and identifying where we are at in respect to the, the business that we do and the feedback that we get. Well, what about um, the, the guides? you have enough right now or are you looking for new ones? Um, I am. Uh, we had one guide um, just make the news in a very negative way. Uh, I think you guys might bring his accident up later on in this particular podcast i believe i saw that in the notes okay uh, but he's a backcountry skier so right now i am looking at another person to take his place um to as a backcountry skier primarily so okay it's, well, it's weird it's because it's you know we have these niches and it's you know it's why I don't have employees why these guys are contractors because they're I have no control it's like they you know this person knows this this person knows that they most of these people work have jobs and stuff like that so it's it's kind of a yeah, juggling yeah. act yeah no it makes sense interesting they're um, all really awesome I will say that they are all like really devoted to the company and just. I, they're, I, I'm blessed with the people that I have of the team of Red Line Guides. They are amazing. Yeah, no, we've had Mike Masel on, and you know we know Arlette, and you know I've run into Howard locally hiking around. So yeah, you get a great crew. Yeah, yeah, they're awesome. All right, so how do people get in touch with you, and um, any other information you want to share with the audience in case they want to hire you guys? Um, I mean, check us out uh, online at redlineguiding.com. We break the site into three sections. We have our adventures, our education, and uh, it's just one page, but weddings. So, And then uh, if you click on those, you'll see the the various individual things that we offer. Uh, I think pricing's probably pretty good. Probably somewhere you know middle of the road. I don't want to be like the lowest price in town. I don't want to be the highest price in town. We, you know, I want to treat my people fairly. And of course, we have to pay the Forest Service to you know work on on public lands and stuff. Yeah, and then you sell you sell merchandise on the store to, on the site too. Yeah, a little bit. It's never been a driving force for me. We have buffs, a couple trucker caps. We used to have some t-shirts. When people sign up for us, we give them stickers and stuff. Just you yeah, know, yeah. yeah, yeah. I see the trucker hats around more more often than than you believe. Actually, I see them around quite a bit. Yeah, 
Yeah, there people love them. I, it's not my particular thing. I'm more, I'm more of a, as you guys probably know, I wear buffs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, are you um, speaking of the buffs? Like, is are you ever are you a big Survivor fan? Do you would you ever reply to go on Survivor? I feel like that would be right in your zone. Um, no, no, oh, you okay. kill it. You kill it, Mike. I um, people think that I'm very public and very gregarious. And I'm actually quite the opposite. Um, so I wouldn't want to be on TV or anything like that. This is fun, though, and I, I love you guys. Oh, that's nice. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I appreciate, you know, we, we appreciate you coming on. And like I said, like, you, 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 it may not be readily apparent to you, but like, I, honestly, like a lot of the sort of the safety and the education stuff that we pass on, I'm just plagiarizing what I found on your website. So I, you know, I want to thank mm-hmm. you for not hiding this information and making it so public because it's it's critical and i think you probably you probably see the numbers on how many people check these articles out but i think a lot of the information around safety is is gotten out through through all the articles and blog posts that you've written over the years it's all selfish mike i'm a search and rescue volunteer and i just want to stay home (laughs) exactly (laughs) no kidding Uh, all right stop anything else i do i have two quick questions mike First one involves setting expectations for your your guests uh, in regards to that inevitable turnaround that can happen. Have you had any cases of summit fever where you just had to just drop the hammer and say no? <laughs> we're um, we're turning around. around. So personally, guiding once, I had a group that I was going to have to turn them around. Uh, but I did give him a choice. I said, we can, we can hit the summit and we are going to immediately turn around and go down this mountain until we get down below the tree line and you can turn, you know, down lower and you can take a break. So that was one time. Um, mm-hmm. Had another where father, daughter, daughter wanted to quit like at the second switchback on Tucker Member Bean Trail. And I talk to her and put her right behind me and stuff like that and I got them up to Lionhead which was nice and they turned around and they were just completely ecstatic so <laughs> well you know because I was setting the expectations We, I just changed the focus I, her, her, you know starting off's hard if I ever quit hiking it's probably going to be in the first 20 minutes of a hike it'll be buggy, hot, sweaty you know I just won't be having fun so and that was the case of the girl. Once she got her head out, got out of her own head and started going up, you know, she was fine. So, okay. Well, I just had a second question. Um, I'm assuming that you've had your share of high wind above treeline, and uh, this weekend's forecast is pretty gnarly. Friday into Saturday, probably early morning to midday, is looking at 90 to 100 mile winds. Um, what are your suggestions or advice for folks that are? contemplating going into that or what they could be ex- experiencing if they do um so if the wind is to their back when they're going up they need to turn around a lot and imagine try to get a sense for what it's going to be like when they come back down to make sure that they come back down and some of this is going to depend on the trend if the forecast is calling for increasing winds or, or decreasing temperatures as the day wears on that this is, has to be factored into the decision making it's like it's not getting better it's getting worse so um, mm-hmm. if you're going and you're facing, going to face the wind, go into it. 
just go up to the mountain, see what it's like. All right, the wind's in my face. I'm okay with this. And then get, you know, especially like Mount Washington, once you get past Lionhead, um, then you get a little bit of a reprieve from the wind, the normal, you know, prevailing winds uh, anyway. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so, you know, just, just, I guess the overall thing is be prepared and fully aware that you might have to stop and turn around and just come back another day. And if you don't think, if somebody doesn't think that they have the willpower to do that, they're going to be so driven that they're going to summit regardless once they've started, they probably shouldn't even leave the house and just pick a different day. Because if they're going to be aware of themselves and how they operate, they know that they could get themselves in a dangerous situation. So, Yeah. Great. Thank you. Like just one other one additional question. Uh, somebody had told me that the winter route for Lion's Head they're not going to open up this year and they're just going to use the normal Lion's Head route. Is that correct? Um, I had heard that they're going to have both. That they're not going to close the summer route and allow people to go up that way if they want to take chances with avalanches. Looking at that route over the years. That avalanche chute near the bottom mm-hmm. is so grown in now that I don't know that it's still really a legitimate avalanche hazard. But I don't know. The aspect on that is to the southeast, and if there's going to be wind slab formation, it would be at the top of something like that. So, I, you know, I don't know. It's their call. They're the experts when it comes to avalanches, I'm assuming that... You know that they're making a, a decision here that is not going to be uh, become a detriment to the hiking community or cause any fatalities. Yeah, yeah. I, I seem to recall like some rescues where people have gone down, like in the spring, they've gone down the winter route and gotten lost or needed rescue. So I wonder if they're just thinking like, okay, if we if we de-emphasize that winter route, maybe um, maybe it'll be better for spring rescues. But I, I don't know. I, I haven't been in that area in the winter, so I don't know. Mm. It's pretty easy. Mount Washington is pretty easy to get rescued on compared to some mountains. True, true, mm. true. All right, Mike. Well, we've we've learned a lot here, and um, you know we appreciate all the work and everything you give back to the community. And we'll make sure that we plug all your information so that listeners can check out the website. And we'll definitely encourage people to get those those wedding out oh, the the gift certificates and then if they're getting married that we'll we'll have them call you (laughs) sounds good thanks for having me guys i really appreciate it yeah yeah and if you want to stick around with the search and rescue news you can if you want to drop off that's fine too i know you got stuff to do um i will actually stick around listen to you guys okay all right cool excellent So uh, moving on to search and rescue news here. Um, we've got a hiker that got rescued under a 6,000-pound boulder. I feel like this happens like occasionally. Wasn't there a guy that got his arm cut off because of this? Yeah, they made a motion picture out of it, I believe. Yeah. So would you would you wait for a rescue or would you cut your arm off first? How long would you wait under a 6,000-pound boulder before you just cut your arm off and, <laughs> and took off? 
I, I have no idea. That's a good question. I think I would probably give it maybe max 12 hours. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, nobody was looking for that person in that movie. <laughs> but, uh, I'd give I it anyway. eight hours. Then I would find like a, a dull rock and cut my arm off and get out of there. <laughs> I can't imagine you being able to do that. I would no, I wouldn't. I would just die. <laughs> so forget it. So, um, oh boy. All right. So this is in California. Uh, a hiker was rescued after getting stuck under a six thousand pound boulder. I feel like, as far as boulders go, like that's not that heavy. <laughs> I mean, it's heavy, but that's not like Glen Boulder. That's like not even close. So true. Oh, good point. Right. <laughs> so, all right. The hiker was I. Uh, let me see here. So this happened in Inyo County, California. The hiker who was not identified in the press release was found in great pain with his left leg trapped under a rock, which rescuers estimated to weigh between 6,000 and 10,000 pounds. So they got a, after arriving by helicopter and car, members of the rescue team used a system of ropes, pulleys, and leverage to shift the boulder enough to free the hiker who was then airlifted off the hillside via a Navy helicopter. And the Navy medic rappelled down to the scene to help hoist him up, and he was taken to the hospital in Fresno. So, Yeah. I read the uh, the article. There's no mention of boulder activity or a slide or anything like that. So I think this is clickbait. He just got his leg stuck under a rock. Am I correct? Yeah, it looks like it. It looks like in the picture they just used like a big metal um, rod to lift the rock up. And it doesn't look that big. The, the, the boulder yeah. doesn't look that big. Yeah, big talus field. So but I don't know how that happened. He must have slipped under some scree and then it just it's it resettled on him. So. Possibly, yeah. All right, so now we the know, size Stomp, of a car. You're, you're, you're 12 hours, I'm eight hours, and would you use a, <laughs> a, a dull rock to cut your arm off, or would you use something else? I would just start chewing, because that way I'd feed myself and get stronger and yeah. keep on going with the chewing. It's like this circle, circular thing. That's creative. I like that. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> so, if you were, uh, so if me and you were together... And I needed you to cut my arm off. Would you do it? Yeah, for sure. But I mean, you're you're a pretty thin guy. There's not much meat there. Okay, I wouldn't hesitate. <laughs> but I would I would do it. Yeah, I, within an hour, I'd want to get out of there. I'd just be like, <laughs> slice it off, Stomp. We're leaving. <laughs> so, all right. Oh my God, um, a new course for redline guys. <laughs> yes, how to how to you know <laughs> extract to, yourself. Yes. Lunch is, <laughs> Lunch is included. Lunch is included. So, all right. Um, That's great. All right. So, a hiker is lucky to be alive after following a fake trail on Google Maps. So, again, Mike, if they had taken your class, like this would not be an issue. Issue. <laughs> so, all right. What, what's the worst situation your phone's GPS has ever led you to? Maybe you wasted an hour looking for a long closed restaurant. Blah, blah, blah. It just goes on to talk about this issue where a, it looks like this happened in Scotland. A hiker had attempted to follow the Kennedy Kennedy Falls area to the summit of a peak. And the hiker, I guess this was a rescue from Mount Frome. And he followed a trail that doesn't exist. And a third hiker had previously died. So there's no evidence to suggest Google Maps played a part in that particular incident. But in this case, it looks like Google Maps had screwed up this person. So 
in Scotland, they had to uh, rescue this guy. Interesting. It's kind of a weird article. It happens, for sure. Yeah. So that's another reason not to rely on Google Maps or to rely on, on Gaia. So I guess they were able mm-hmm. to rescue him and take him in a helicopter to get, get freed. Or all trails. Yes. Yep. Yep. All right. So this was um, an article that our friend Al had sent in. So this is a story about a rescue that happened up in British Columbia, I believe. So this was a hiker that was rescued nine hours. After nine hours, he was stranded in a gully in Mount Seymour. And this was a situation where it was a meetup group. A hiker was hiking with a group of people. Uh, they were going too slow. He separated and ended up in a gully. And he had to call for a rescue around, I guess, 7.15 at night. He called 911. Again, this is in Canada. And then he ended up getting rescued by about 3.30. But uh, the group they put together online, so they weren't good friends. The group dynamic doesn't work. And um, they didn't really jibe together right away. So it was apparently they split up. And the person that ended up getting rescued was going too fast. He took a fall. The group didn't see and they just went on. They got separated, and this guy ended up needing a rescue by him, by himself. So, another reason to take a guide because I'm assuming, Mike, you guys don't ever like leave your your guest, right? Nope. Yeah. Yep. Nope. No. If there's a turnaround, um, everyone's turning around, or we'll have a second guide for that purpose. Yeah, yeah. I feel like meetup groups in in the whites have gotten a lot. But like I, obviously, the AMC groups, and there was. Um, another meetup group that was really rigid around making sure that they were okay. There's been some other meetup groups that have a uh, random group of hikers, random, random group, group of hikers. hikers correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Michael Blair. Yes, exactly. So Michael had a really good structure. And then I think that there was some attempts to get different meetup groups going. I know the hiking buddies have gotten really good about making sure that everyone sticks together. And overall, it seems like that message has made it through where there's, there's a lot fewer Do issues. Allison, uh, I want to say her name now is Drexel or something like that. It used to be Allison Nadler. She had a group, Northeast Peak Baggers, that were, they took safety pretty seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the two groups I like tried to dabble in. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. these people um, splitting up and getting into trouble, just FYI, that's a common thread. Mm-hmm. When peak groups split up, I mean, resist the urge, folks, because that is a time when things tend to go awry. I've seen it so many times. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we, we do these articles and I keep track of like the rescues and stuff and we do see it the same thing. It's like they just, one one hiker loses patience and they separate and then they get in trouble and it just doesn't work. Um, all right. So this next article is out of Hawaii Stomp. So um, the Kauai County Council has moved forward a bill to require visitors and residents that are rescued to take responsibility and pay for the extreme cost of both ocean and land rescues um, in Kauai. So this is proposing to charge all individuals involved in search and rescue over $1,000 the cost of the rescue. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. And my, my daughter, like, she was out there for 10 weeks or something like that for college. And she was saying that, like, it's very, very, very muddy trails, slick trails, dangerous. And it's, it, 
we've done a ton of these stories about tourists going out there and just not knowing the terrain and, and getting in trouble. So again, Mike, this is one of those situations we see in the whites too. Like people will come and they've got experience hiking all over the world, but they come to the whites and they just don't know the terrain and the local knowledge is critical because that's, you end up overextending yourself and you don't know the terrain and you can get in trouble very easily, even if you are experienced. Remember that person that complained to the Manchester Union leader about the state of our trails a few years ago? Was that the lady who wrote yeah. the letter complaining about like uh, Mount Jackson and that they needed a... Mr. Jackson trails? Yes. Yep. <laughs> People have no idea how rugged our trails are. But I, you know, I blame it on uh, Yankee frugality. True. You want me to make a trail up this mountain? How am I going to make it? I'm going to go up. Well, there was an attempt... I think it was, um, matter of fact, it was like uh, Raymer Edmonds. He had gone out west and had seen the the switchbacks that they had developed out there. And he had tried to bring that to the whites. But the rest of the trail builders were like, you know, traditionalist. And they didn't want, they didn't want those switchbacks. So he lost out. And, you know, I'm sort of thankful because I, I kind of like our rugged trails. I do too. I am totally with you on that. Yep. <laughs> All right. All right. So this next story brings us to South Africa stomp. And this is a trail mm-hmm. runner. So uh, Tom Evans, he was training for an ultra trail run in Cape Town. And he became a victim. Apparently, they got some cr- criminal activity going on. He was on Table Mountain and he ended up getting mugged right before he was doing a training run right before a 100 mile marathon. And he ended up getting mugged and I think stabbed. So he decided to withdraw from the race. But apparently Cape Town has a lot of criminal activity going on right now. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, that's great training incentive. True. So apparently he was, um, yeah, he was just running the local road and then he got attacked. So we don't have to deal with that in Mm. New Hampshire, thankfully. Yeah, for sure. Can I backtrack for two seconds about that Hawaii story? Yes. Um, I just want to mention that they are slammed by helicopter extractions. That's a huge part of the re- reason behind this bill. And I remember Caroline talking about that as well. Um, search and rescue being heavily dependent upon helicopters versus foot travel. Just wanted to add that. Yeah, yeah. She said that like there's so many helicopters out there and that that's sort of the go-to option because it's so difficult to get get into some of the mountains there and, and they just prefer to do the helicopter rescues when they can. Yeah. All right, going local. Going local. All right, so this is this first one here is um, a skier was rescued from Mount Washington after an avalanche. So this happened on December 9th. So a New Hampshire man suffered a life-threatening lower leg injury after triggering an avalanche while skiing in the Great Gulf uh, so, thirty-year-old um, man from Bow, New Hampshire, was skiing, skiing down Airplane Gully um, with a friend when the incident happened. So, I guess the friend and another unrelated skier skied over to assist this person after he triggered an avalanche and sustained the lower leg injury. So the two other skiers gave aid to the victim. They called 911, and this triggered a rescue process. So um, it worked its way through to the Forest Service Snow Rangers. Um, It was outside of the Snow Rangers' direct jurisdiction, so they ended up passing this off to Fishing Game. 
And uh, the conservation officer who took the call spoke with Forest Service snow rangers, and together they worked out a plan. The snow rangers cover the Cutlow River drainage, but they, they're always willing to assist in any way they can. So um, I guess they started making calls to get a helicopter in, and the snow rangers started getting like mountain rescue service. So this was... Um, yeah, so this is the Great Gulf on Mount Washington. So um, I guess the helicopter was mobilized, and then Mount Washington Parks and the Auto Road coordinated a group effort to get a snowcat up there uh, to transport the mountain rescue team up the Auto Road to the summit where they could trek over the ridge and rescue the skier if the helicopter could not. So I guess both of the skiers that were helping the victim gave aid and did a great job considering the conditions and then they were waiting for the helicopter to arrive they were able to shovel out an area on the side slope so that the paramedic and litter would be lowered down there so it looks like um, the helicopter crew located the victim and then they were able to get a medic and a litter down to that location and um, they flew off to um, let the medic do his job and then Eventually, it looks like they were able to fly him out of here, out of there, and get him to Dartmouth Hitch, Hitchcock. So that's not a great spot to get rescued. But I, I don't know what the snow situation is on the Great Gulf at this point. I'm a, I, I think they've got about 25, 30 inches of snow there, but apparently it holds a lot of snow. Yeah. It's usually one of the last skiable uh, gullies in the whites uh, in spring. So it, it collects a lot of snow in there. Yeah. For what it's worth, those uh, the skier they dotted their eyes and crossed their t's, and they just they put everything into doing this safely. And it's just just reminders to the rest of us that stuff can happen. Yeah, yeah, it's it's the equivalent of like just you know twisting your ankle or blowing out your knee when you're hiking. Like there's nothing you can do about it. Those things just happen occasionally. Right. Amazing, amazing video too that followed. Yeah. Yeah, we'll put that in the show notes so people can check it out. Um all right, the next the next rescue we have here is oh, this goes back to November 4th stop. We haven't done a res- we haven't done search and rescue that long. Yeah, shame. 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 So Kearsarge North. So um, this is a 45-year-old female hiker from Durham, New Hampshire. She was hiking with her husband and a companion. They went up to Kearsarge North. She slipped and fell, injured her ankle, and was unable to bear weight. So they called 911. That's not a bad place to get injured. So she was she was right. injured at 5:45 p.m. And then uh, Lakes Region and Anderskogen uh, Search and Rescue assisted with the carryout. So she's about two and a half miles from the parking lot. So probably, you know, right below the summit at that point, because I think it's 3.1 miles to the summit. So they were able to arrive at the trailhead around 1125. So not horrible. So maybe two hours to get to her and then two, three hours to get her down. Hmm. She would have been up around 2,600 feet or so. Yeah, right. And she had a hike safe card, so kudos to her. 
Uh, and then this next one is on the Desolation Trail. So where is that? That's on the backside of Kerrigan. Is that right? Correct. Okay. This is an interesting story. Yeah, yeah this is November 11th. So 22-year-old hiker from Newport, New Hampshire. Oh, you know what I like, Snop, is that these are all New Hampshire people. Thank goodness. There's no shame on us mass holes. <laughs> Oh, it's just a temporary thing. Just temporary. So, um, all right. So these hikers, again, they came, they became separated uh, by a short distance on the Desolation Trail near the summit of Mount Carrigan. Um, not good cell connection on there. So I guess the hiker called 911 while he was separated from his hiking partner. The hiking partner eventually returned and got the hiker moving. But rather than hiking the shortest route back to the trailhead over Mount Kerrigan, they hiked an eight-mile loop in the opposite direction, which kept them in front of the rescuers who were hiking to assist. And then the the victim and his friend arrived at the trailhead shortly after 5.30. So that probably was a little frustrating. So it sounds like they went back around. They went back down Desolation instead of going Signal Ridge. The rescuers were coming up Signal Ridge, and they never caught up to them. Amazing. Lucky, I suppose, yeah. That's going to be frustrating. Feet were, feet were frozen. Yeah. Not a good situation. Not good. Now, how, how frustrating is that for the search and rescue teams? Oh, super. I bet. Super frustrating. I bet. Um, yeah. All right, so this next one, hiker in distress on Mount Major. So this is November 16th at 10.30 a.m. This is a 70-year-old hiker from Dover, New Hampshire, hiking with his nephew. Uh, he was suffering a medical condition on the Boulder Trail in the area of Mount Major. So uh, Alton, you know, typically when this happens on Mount Major, like you'll get Lakes Region, but you'll get the local fire department. So they were able to get him up one and a half miles from the trailhead, and they attempted to get him to walk out on his own, but eventually they put him in a litter. Major's nice because you can get an ATV up there pretty easily, so they were able to transport him out. So call came in at 10.30. He got out at 1.30. Not bad. It's always a great place for a rescue if it happens. Yeah, those are nice wide trails. Um, yeah. And then we had a on November 21st, around 11.15 a.m., uh, Mount Manadnock and Jaffrey on the Marlboro Trail, 70-year-old uh, hiker from Keene, New Hampshire, had collapsed on the Marlboro Trail and was non-responsive, was hiking with a close friend. They immediately called 911 and became, began um, CPR until assistance arrived. Unfortunately, the life-saving measures were not successful and the hiker succumbed to his medical emergency. So fatality on Mount Manadnock. Okay. So that's going to be Shame. tough on the friend just being there doing CPR and you know being with, with his friend when he passes away. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this next one is an injured hiker rescued in Nelson, New Hampshire. So this is an 82-year-old hiker from Cambridge, Mass. So, okay, the, the Massachusetts people are here. Partridge Woods Trail. Finish the show. Yeah, exactly. We'll finish up there. Four other hikers when she <laughs> slipped and fell in wet snow. And I think this is a, I don't know where Nelson, New Hampshire is, but they were able to get her in a litter and carried her out. Keene Fire Department helped her out. So it's Western New Hampshire. Sure. Southwest. Yep. But that's it, Stomp. It's been pretty slow. I mean, November had like four or five rescues and we've had one or two in December. So not not too crazy for you guys. 
not too crazy at all. Yeah. It's welcome. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully yeah. that's one of the things that yeah. data has told us, Mike, over the years is like the, the, when you look at the, the forest service does surveys on the volume of visitors in the white mountains and hikers, and it's gone up significantly, but the search and rescue numbers year over year have stayed pretty flat. So I think given the volume increase in overall hikers, versus the the volume you see in rescues even though it hasn't gone down much it stayed flat but there's more people out there so i think that the education and the message is getting out there no, 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 no. pressure from social media <laughs> yeah right right yeah you must feel that too like there's no way you could ever like get injured on a trail and call for a rescue like it, it oh, just could. i will just crawl through a rock and die <laughs> that, that's the same with me <laughs> yeah. i won't it won't even cut your arm off just die right yeah just die it's <laughs> so. so true yeah all right. Well, Mike, this All was right. awesome. You did amazing. You, this is your second podcast and you killed it. We definitely want to have you back again. Um, we, yeah, anytime, uh, Mike. We need to follow up with Arlette, so maybe we can get both of you back together or something. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, she's got some yeah, good yeah. stories. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, we'll, oh, we'll, sure. uh, we'll end it here and thanks again. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Have All right. Yeah, you bet. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to learn more about the topics covered in today's show, please check out the show notes and safety information at slasherpodcast.com. That's S-L-A-S-R podcast.com. You can also follow the show on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you'll join us next week for another great show. Until then, on behalf of Mike and Stump, get out there and crush some mega peaks. Now covered in scratches, blisters, and bug bites, Chris Staff wanted to complete his most challenging day hike ever. Fishing game officers say the hiker from Florida activated an emergency beacon yesterday morning. He was hiking along the Appalachian Trail when the weather started to get worse. Officials say the snow was piled up to three feet in some spots, and there was a wind chill of minus one degree. And there's three words to describe this race. Do we all know what they are? Lieutenant James Neeland, New Hampshire Fish and Game. Lieutenant, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. What are some of the most common mistakes you see people make when they're heading out on the trails to hike here in New Hampshire? It seems to me the most common is being unprepared. And I think if they just simply visited uh, hikesafe.com and got a list of the 10 essential items and had those in their packs, they probably would have no need to ever call us. <laughs>